Today's reading is from Acts 4, verse 23 to 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together and prayed to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your, po they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Great, and, and now, here we go, great, uh, Shane being Shane, he challenged me this morning to preach the sermon in Afrikaans, so, mora mora, ek well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but that's all I know, at least I tried, good morning, um, so this morning, we're going to carry on in our series uh, in the book of Acts, and we're going to pick up from where Rog so brilliantly left um, last week. Um, in the last couple of weeks or so, uh, we've seen how the early church in the book of Acts experienced this incredible outpour of the Holy Spirit. And in that, they have this amazing sense of love for one another, they experience joy, peace, and power in the Holy Spirit. And even a man like Peter, who not so long before that had frozen with fear and denied Jesus, now full of the Holy Spirit, Peter raises his voice as he addresses this big crowd that was in front of him. And so boldly, he begins to tell them of how all of the scriptures point to the same Jesus that they had crucified and how this Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior that they had long waited for. And more than that, he begins to tell them and unpack the gospel promise. And he says to them, this is for you for your children, and for everyone who is far off. Everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And he challenges them. Repent, turn away from your sin, and be 
saved. And on that day, this gathering of 120 people grows to more than 3,000 people. Imagine one day or one Sunday you come and every single chair here is filled with people. There are people sitting here behind me in the coffee area, down the foyer, and even the parking lot is turned into a sitting area. Breathtaking, isn't it? Then suddenly, Peter and John are thrown into jail by the local authorities. And before they are released, they're given specific instruction. Do not speak or teach in the name of Jesus. I wonder what would happen or what would you do if Mr. Jordan Hill Lewis, the mayor of Cape Town, is to throw Roj and the elders into Posma prison. And he re- before he releases them, he says, do not speak or teach in the name of Jesus. What would you do? I wonder, what would we do as a church? Anger? Resentment? Maybe some of the fast-thinking people in this community would say, don't we have lawyers here? Don't we have somebody who's really connected right at the top? Maybe some of you who are very practical would say, let's just be real, guys. Maybe why don't we take this thing offline like we did during COVID? Or maybe there's a workaround. We just drop the name of Jesus. Let's, why don't we just call him J or JC? Do we really have to call him Jesus? Or you might think, maybe this is a sign. Why should we go through all this trouble? Maybe this is a sign that, guys, maybe we should just stop before we get into too much trouble here. Or you might be thinking to yourself, nah, man, that sounds like so out of this world, man. Get, get real. Who is going to do that in this day and age? But I wonder, has it ever occurred to you that this is not such an out-of-this-world question. That even in some parts of this world, not even far from us, even here in Africa, that this is not such a hypothetical question. In fact, there is an organization called Open Doors that tracks persecution of Christians across the world. And in their latest release, which is called the World Watch 2023, they report that on average, every single day, including a Sunday like this, 24 Christians are imprisoned or arrested because of their faith in Jesus. Staggering, isn't it? I find some very interesting perspective from David Curry, the guy who leads Open Doors in the U.S., and he says this. This guy works with these stats and these numbers every single day, and this is what he says. The numbers of God's people who are suffering for their faith should mean that the church is dying, that Christians are keeping quiet and losing their faith and turning away from one another. But that's not what's happening. Instead, in living color, we see the words of God recorded in the prophet Isaiah 43 verse 9. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Let us pray. Father, as we come before you and open the scriptures, we acknowledge you as the author and the perfecter of our faith. As we hear 
your words this morning. I pray, let echoes of your promise that you will build your church and not even the gates of hell will prevail. Echo in our hearts, strengthen our faith, excite us and give us joy for all that you have called us as a church. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Um, so we're going to pick up from verse 23 in our main text. It doesn't look like the slides are working, but I will read and uh, you can keep track. So verse 23, Luke, the writer to the book of Acts, writes and he says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own. Or some other translations, they put it as they went back to their friends. Beloved of God, I don't think it's by chance that Luke goes into the trouble to mention the phrase they are on. I think this is something that we need to hear ever so loudly in this day and time where we can easily order our lives in such a way that community is something that exists at the fringes of our lives. I think here, Luke wants to press the point that the early church did not see church as people on the fringes of their lives, but their very own. They saw church as a community of real and supporting friends. Not as people that you get to see in passing every other Sunday. Not as people that you get together with on a week to study the Bible only. But as people that you can run to in times of trouble. Not as people that you only invite in your life when you have sorted everything. When you have cleared the mess. When you have ironed out all the bumps. But people that you get to invite even in the messiness of your life and work out issues with. So straight out of spending a night in jail, maybe they, have, they hadn't even brushed their teeth, had a change of clothing. Peter and John threatened, distressed. They run to their own, and their own received them. I don't know about you, but this challenges me. This makes me question myself. Have I made my life too much of my own? Am I intentionally opening up space for other people in this community, not just my wife and my two boys, in such a way that they call me their own. How about you? Is there any area in your life that perhaps you need to intentionally die to this sense of me, myself, and I, or me, myself, and just my family, and begin to open up your life to leave for and with others in this community. I think the reality, beloved of God, is that we will never be able to live fully flourishing lives as God intends for us without real and deepening relationships with brothers and sisters in this community. I remember a couple of months ago, I had the privilege of going through the book called The Intentional Father by John Tayson uh, with men in our life group and some guys that are not in our life group. And what a journey that was. And one of the most surprising and interesting things Besides the fact of 
how diverse backgrounds we come from, from a guy who grew up in Soweto to a guy who was raised in the working class apartments in North End in Port Elizabeth to a guy from Ferenikeng and to a guy like me from the dust streets of Harare. Just how surprising and how similar our childhood struggles were and how so similar our parenting struggles are. What a blessing it was for me. But I also am mindful that the reality is that any of those guys could have chosen just to read the book by themselves. Really? They could have all chosen to think of parenting and fatherhood as something of their own, something they need to do, their own responsibility. But what a privilege for me to realize and learn from these men and not pretend that I've, I have it all figured out, but open my life and share my own struggles. They share their own struggles. I'm sure a lot of you here hate being on WhatsApp groups. So we started a WhatsApp group. And when we finished going through the book, politely I was thinking of taking this life, this WhatsApp group down. And they said, no, 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 no. Let's keep it on. We've started on a journey together. This is not just about going through a book. This is about us sharing life together and journeying together. I wonder, what are your struggles this morning? Who in this community of your own are you journeying with through those struggles. So when they went, Peter and John, to their own, Luke tells us in the second part of verse 23 that they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. This is no ordinary feedback session. These are people that are being threatened by really influential people. And the one thing they realize is that there is no effective ministry without the power that God gives by the Holy Spirit. So, the church in the book of Acts, in a sense, they took heed of God's word that he spoke in Zechariah 4 verse 6, when he says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. As God reminds Zerubbabel, when he was faced with opposition, as he was trying to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And God reminds him that not even by the might or the power of his office as a governor would help him to prevail against opposition. That what God had ordained to overcome was not conventional means, but it was by the outpouring of God's Spirit. Let's take heed of this church of God. Yes, like many of us here in South Africa, we may never experience the kind of persecution that the church in the book of Acts experienced. But let us not take false comfort. In fact, in fact, there is growing opposition as the ripples of secular or worldly beliefs begin to permeate more and more in the society that we live in. 
we're going to see more and more opposition. I think for some of us sitting here this morning, we've actually forgotten or even take for granted that when we were growing up, it was very normal to have a Bible reading at assembly in school. It was very normal for a prayer to be said at assembly in school, even in public schools or private schools that were non-Christian. But now, think of the swirl of gender fluidity or this idea that at any point in your life you can choose whether you want to be a man or a woman, how it's even knocking at the doorsteps of our schools. That just last year, the government put out guidelines for public schools on how they can introduce gender neutral bathrooms. Well, you might be sitting here and thinking, get real, man. What's the big deal? It's just bathrooms. But I think the writing is on the wall for us. Some of the Christian beliefs and morals that we took for granted that the society just long accepted are starting to be pushed back at. Some of it is subtle and gradual that we might not even perceive it. But even if we go back to the book of Acts in this context that we're looking at in chapter 4, what we see if we pull the layers is that even opposition for them is ever so gradual. If you look at opposition that the church encountered through the lens of two very influential groups, the Sadducees, who were this elite group of priests that looked after the temple, and the Sanhedrin, which was this assembly or a supreme body that ruled over all the religious issues of the day. So starting with the Sadducees, for them, opposition starts off with an irritation or a theological annoyance. Luke writes in chapter 4, verse 2, that they were greatly annoyed because the apostles were teaching and proclaiming in the, in the name of Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they're annoyed because these guys are talking about things that they don't really agree with. But not so long after, annoyance builds into jealousy and envy. And you see that in Acts 5 verse 17, Luke says they had the apostles arrested because they were filled with jealousy. And then this jealousy morphs into complete hatred that you see in Acts 6 and 7. On the other hand, for the Sanhedrin, it starts off with amazement. Luke writes in Acts 4 verse 13 that these guys were greatly astonished or greatly amazed that these fishermen could speak so boldly and proclaim the gospel with such insight. But quickly, they get over their, their amazement and they begin to issue threats that we see in verse 18 of chapter 4. Later on, in Acts 5 verse 40, to their warning, they add a beating. As they release them in jail, they ask that they be given some lashes. And they say, we've warned you. Then you look at all this envy, jealousy, warnings, beatings, culminating in chapter 7 
where one of the apostles, Stephen, is brutally murdered by a mob that had been cited by the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin. Yes, even though some of us here this morning, you will never get to experience being stoned to death by a mob. But this message is still so relevant to us because the message of the gospel that we carry, we are bound to face some sort of opposition when we make claims that there is no other name that man can be saved other than the name of Jesus, we are bound to be laughed at and scoffed at. When we faithfully not only speak of who Jesus is and what he has done, but when we courageously speak of sin, some of us are bound to be taken off family WhatsApp groups or not invited to family lunches. When we talk of the need for repentance, for some of us, our kids will not be invited to kids' parties. Tim Keller once put it, with such great perspective when he said, if Christians are living and speaking as they should, they will be attractive to non-believers and persecuted. If you only see opposition and not many conversions, or if you see popularity and no persecution, you are not leaving. As you should. So what then shall we do when faced with opposition? Verse 24, Luke writes, when they heard this, meaning the threats, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, here, look like us would remind us how the early church in prayer reminded their minds and their hearts of what they needed to remember the most in the face of opposition, to pray, to pray to God. But Luke also makes a point not only to tell us that they prayed, but he goes at great pains and length to tell us what they prayed about, to tell us what kind of prayer they prayed. So first observation from Acts 4 verse 24 is that unlike what we see in Luke 9 verse 54, when the disciples Early in their walk with Jesus, when they faced opposition from the Samaritans, they went to Jesus and they said to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call fire from heaven and destroy them? Of course, Jesus rebuked them. But here, they do not pray for the judgment or the destruction of the people that are persecuting them. They neither pray for the persecution to stop. This is what they do. They start off by saying, Sovereign Lord. Not that God needed to be reminded who he is, but they start off by expressing that their ultimate trust is in God who is in control, is in a God who is in charge. Their ultimate trust is in a God who made the heaven, the earth, and every living creature, including the people that were trying to exert authority over them. They begin to express 
that the ultimate trust is in a God who sovereignly reigns over all and his will and counsel stands that nothing is outside the sovereign will and control of God. You could contrast this to the reaction of the disciples in Mark 35 verse 41. They're out at sea on a boat and they encounter this incredible thunderstorm. That water is beginning to fill up the boat. And in panic and fear, they go to Jesus and say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus says to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? Beloved of God, fear and faith always vying for space and control in our hearts and in our minds. What we see here, the early church do, is in faith, they make who God is their starting point and not the fear of the issue or the circumstances that they face. They remind themselves that God is the highest authority, that God has the last word, that even in the darkest of days, that even when faced with persecution and possible execution, that God is in control. That even when things seemingly go wrong, at least in our understanding, that God sovereignly uses that to achieve His purposes, or He overcomes that to achieve His purposes. But either way, the purposes of God prevails. And that is our confidence. But the story does not only end there. This God who is sovereign, this God who is in charge with the highest authority, He is for us. This God is for you and for me. And you want to know how much God is for you? Paul in Romans 8.32 says, look at the cross. If he, God, would not spare his only son, when his son cried on the cross, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? He gave himself for us. How would God not have our best interests in unexpected situations? How would God not have our best interests when things go wrong? If he gave us his one and only son and did not even spare him for us. Even the most difficult of circumstances, beloved of God, we can know. As Paul says in Romans 8 verse 28, that in all things, God works all things together for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. I think... That echoes what Joseph says to his brothers, the same brothers who had sold him into slavery. And he says this to his brothers in Genesis 50 verse 20. 
what you intended for him. God intended it for good. So after they established that God is the ultimate authority, that God has the final say, what do they do next? They make the persecution and the opposition God's business. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats. These threats are your responsibility, Lord. This opposition is your business, Lord. We have no business losing sleep over what is God's business, the God who neither sleeps nor slumbers. I think some of our heartaches, some of the pains that we go through, me included, we could easily avoid them if we let God be God. Some of the joy that we rob ourselves of, some of the confidence and the peace that we rob ourselves of, we would enjoy if we let God be God. But what we also see, if I go back to verses 25 to 28, as they reference and cite Psalm 2, and they say, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. What is going on here? I think firstly, this church in the book of Acts, they do not consider the Bible or the scriptures as some good to have book that one can look at now and then, but as the very words of God as the primary means by which God has chosen to reveal himself. I think of my own walk and days when I have faced very difficult circumstances and I find myself sort of saying to God, almost bargaining with God and saying, God, just, just show me a sign. Just give me some confirmation. Not that God doesn't give confirmations and doesn't give signs, but never really bothering to open my Bible and to hear what God has already spoken. What we see here is a people that saturate their minds and their prayers with the Word of God. And the Word of God becomes the living word of God. And in that moment, they recognize the fulfillment of, the, of a prophetic message out of the book of Psalm 2. 
as it is fulfilled in their time. And they also recognize something very fundamental about how God operates. That though many had conspired to kill Jesus, God had appointed this to happen. Beloved of God, there is divine appointment even in the most unexpected circumstances. Yes, they go on to make this persecution God's business. But it doesn't let us off the hook, does it? In the second part of verse 29, they ask God, Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. In a sense, they are saying, God, for that which you have called us to do, give us the power and the strength to do it. So what is it that is our business? What is it that God has called us to do? It's to share the gospel. It's to proclaim who Jesus is and what he has done. That is our business. I'm sure in that gathering, yes, there were people that were very experienced in sharing the gospel like Peter and John, but I'm sure there were people that were not as experienced as Peter and John. There were probably even new people, new believers. This church, people were being saved every day. There were new believers in there that had never, ever shared the gospel. But one thing that they all realize is that there is no effective ministry without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So should we. Beloved of God, we ought and we should ask God, clothe us. Power, God, fill us with your spirit and enable us to share the gospel with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family, with people that we encounter, random people. I think what is also instructive here, especially for introverts like me, is that boldness as we see it here, is not something that wells up from the deep reservoirs of an outspoken and a bubbly and a charming personality. Neither is boldness, the fearlessness of somebody who doesn't care about the consequences. But what we see here is boldness is something that God enables. Boldness is something that God gives and grants. That we need not continue wishing we were bolder. We can just ask and ask God. That this morning... We need not let our fears go unchallenged. That we can bring our fears under the sovereign lordship of God. What are your fears this morning? Is it maybe the fear of failing health? Is it maybe the fear about the future, about what's going on in this country, fear about the future of your kids, 
if you're going to have enough in retirement, it's a fear over your marriage. Beloved of God, bring your fears under the lordship of a sovereign God who cares, cares for you. Let us ask for the boldness that comes from the Spirit of God. 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul reminds Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity or of fear, but a spirit of power. Come God, fill us with your power and your boldness. In verse 30, they also ask that God, the sovereign God, would stretch out his hand to heal and to confirm the message they carried by the signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. I think it's important here to recognize that signs and wonders are no substitute for faithful proclamation of the gospel. Yes, signs and wonders accompany and confirm the message, but they're not a substitute. And in verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. In a sense, as God confirmed that indeed he is the creator of heaven and earth. And Luke goes on to tell us that everyone was filled with Holy Spirit and faithfully they went and spoke the word of God boldly. As I conclude, yes, I am mindful that there are so many needs around us. But beloved of God, the greatest need for Sunningdale, for Danoon, for Blobeck, for Malpus, for Milnerton, for this city, for this nation, and for the nations, is the gospel. It is the truth that God so loved this world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Beloved of God, we need to join the early church. No matter what the threats are, no matter what the opposition is, no matter whatever that holds us back in prayer to a sovereign God, who delights to empower us for that which he has called us. Let us stand. I'm going to call the band to come up. And as the band prepares to lead us in a song, I want to invite you to close your eyes wherever you are. Maybe you are here this morning and you've heard of how Jesus, how God gave his one and only son. And maybe, maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe for you it feels like you are too far off. But the words of Peter echoes into this day. This is for you. This is for you.
I invite you to open your heart and trust God for your own life this morning. Maybe you're saying, I don't know how. Can I invite you to pray with me, even under your breath, in your own heart? God, today I choose to accept you as my Lord and Savior. Today, I choose to place my hope in what you have done on the cross for me. As you promised, come into my heart and fill me with life that only you can give. Maybe you're here this morning and you desire to share the gospel, but I've always felt this fear holding you back. Maybe you've shared the gospel before, and your desire is, God, I want more. I want to see more people coming to faith. Why don't we all lift our hands to God? Why don't we all open our hearts? Father, we look to you. As we lift our hands and open our hearts, oh, sovereign God, Enable us by the power of your spirit. Clothe us with power from on high. Fill us with your spirit afresh, O oh, sovereign God. We ask of you, enable us, O oh God, quicken our feet. Loosen our tongue that your son Jesus would be known in this city, in this nation, and into the nations. That many who are far off would come to know your love in your son on the cross. Stir up life in Jesus in this city, in this nation, and in the nations, oh God, we pray to you. Amen.